Eleanor without a bar. Welcome to 3PNR. I'm your host, Adam R. And joining me for this episode is Psychic John Russell. John, how you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Adam. I appreciate you having me. I appreciate your time. I look forward to our conversation. Let's uh let's begin with diving into John Russell, where you got started and, and you know, you have fifty years of experience and I mean a tremendous amount of credentials. So let's uh let's let people know who you are, where you came from, and how how you got to where you are currently. Well, how I got to where I am. It's a long, long story, but it started when I was about five years old and I was lying in bed one night, sound asleep. My parents had left a uh, a nightlight on down the hallway in case I woke up in the night, had to go to the bathroom, whatever. And um, I woke up in the middle of the night, totally, completely wide awake, no grogginess, no drowsiness, just suddenly, just totally awake and focused. And I thought, well, this is really odd. And I couldn't figure it out. And I thought, well, maybe a noise outside woke me up. So I lay there in bed real quietly and I listened and there were no noises, nothing unusual. And I thought, well, this is really, really strange. So I raised up on my elbows in bed, looked around my bedroom. I looked out my open doorway down the hallway. And in the hallway, there was another doorway that went to the dining room. And in the nightlights glow, I could see an elderly black gentleman peering around the door frame down the hallway into my bedroom looking at me. And I screamed bloody murder because my family was white. I don't think we even knew anybody black at the time. So my presumption as a five-year-old child was someone unidentified has broken into our home. And after I screamed the first time, the elderly black gentleman walked through the door frame into the hallway toward my bedroom, locking eyes with me. And Adam, he was as solid as you or I. He wasn't wispy, wasn't translucent, wasn't transparent. He was fully formed, 3D, every bit as solid as you or I. I can tell you the clothes he had on, he had on a a long sleeve red flannel shirt, uh, khaki pants, black shoes, black belt. And I knew he was elderly because he had white hair and a white mustache. And uh, as he began to walk closer to me, I screamed bloody murder again. I heard my parents begin to come running. And at that point, he began to disappear and he became translucent, then he became transparent, then he vanished. And by that time, my parents were in the bedroom. And I said, somebody's broken in, somebody's in the house, even though I'd just seen him vanish. And so I was crying like crazy. My mother's holding me going, no, no, it was a bad dream. I knew better. I knew it wasn't a bad dream. I had seen someone solid in the flesh while I was wide awake that vanished into thin air. And my fright was so real, so real that my dad actually went through the house Checked in the closets, looked under all the beds, checked all the doors and windows to make sure they were locked. And, of course, everything was safe and sound. No one had broken in. No one was there in the flesh. And so they tried to get me to go back to bed and go back to sleep. And, of course, I'm terrified. It's like, who is this guy? Where did he come from? Is he going to come back? Why did he appear to me? What does he want? And so all these questions are racing through my mind. And I, I try and get back to sleep. And for the next several weeks, I'm like looking over my shoulder all the time because like, where is this guy? Is he coming back? He appeared out of nowhere. He can appear appear out of nowhere again. And uh, sleep was trying to go to sleep. That was very fitful. And uh, shortly after that, these physical paranormal manifestations begin to occur. Not something I dreamed or had in a vision or meditation or daydreamed or hallucinated. 
things actually occurred on the physical realm that were paranormal, that were supernatural. My parents observed a lot of them. Other people began to observe a lot of them. And then somewhere it clicked in my brain that, okay, I couldn't, I couldn't have vocalized it then. I couldn't have understood it this way and expressed it this way then, being about five and a half. But I somehow understood at a deep level that this gentleman had come to open up this portal to these experiences and that down the road, this was going to be incredibly important in my life, that it was somehow going to be helpful to me and somehow going to be helpful to other people. Hmm. And then shortly after all of that reckoning occurred, all that realization occurred, I was getting close to about, uh, I guess, about six and um, this car pulled, I was out in the backyard playing with a toy and goofing around and this car pulled in the driveway and it was people I didn't recognize. I didn't know. So I ran in the house and I got my mom and dad and I said, Hey, there's people outside in this, in this car and I don't know who they are. They said, okay, we'll come look. So they came outside and I said, Oh, these are friends of ours. Well, I'd never met them. I didn't know who they were. And so they got out and they were talking to my mom and dad and they were walking up towards the, the house and they all paused on the sidewalk and were just standing there talking and I came up and just kind of interjected myself in their midst. And I looked up at them and I said, uh, I said, you people have just been on vacation and you took that car that's in the driveway. You drove that car and you have two kids. They're not with you today, but you have two kids. And you took those two kids with you on vacation and you stayed in this um, hotel that was painted this color, had this many stories. It looked like this in the front, and there were these trees out front spaced at regular intervals that looked like this. And in the back, the pool area was this color and looked like this. Well, the husband was kind of looking back and forth at uh, my parents and his wife with this kind of weird grin on his face, like, what in the world? And I'll never forget his wife stared at me. I mean, literally slack-jawed and bug-eyed. I thought her eyes were going to pop out of her head. And she looked at my mother and said, how the hell could he possibly know that? And my mother was kind of caught off guard and was kind of like, well, you know, kids and their imaginations. And she goes, no, 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 there's no kids in their imaginations. How the hell could he possibly know that? And my parents were kind of like, well, we don't understand what's going on. The lady was like, that's what we came to tell you today was about the vacation that we just took. And we drove that car and we took our two kids and the hotel we stayed at is exactly what, how John described, how the hell could he possibly know that? And she looked at me like I had cobras growing out of my ears. And <laughs> my parents were like, John, go play. And I was like, okay, nice to meet you folks. And I went off with my toy. And I guess I scared the life out of them because I never came to visit my parents again. And that was when I discovered that I had also developed a psychic gift as a result of this awakening. And I could tell where people had been, what they'd been up to. I learned that I could accurately predict their futures. I could read their thoughts, their emotions and everything. And so that's when that all started. And uh, by the age of 15, or I should back up and say by the age of 11, I had started doing paranormal investigations and research and reading every single thing, studying every single thing I could get my hands on in regard to religion, psychology, parapsychology, paranormal, psychics, so on and so forth. Uh, by uh, the age of 15, I was doing readings for friends and family. Then by the age of 18, I started reading professionally. And uh, now, like you say, I've, I've read professionally for over 50 years. I've read for clients in over 40 countries, which just blows my mind. And uh, I've been a, been a paranormal investigator, done a ton of paranormal investigations. I've had way, way, way over a thousand 
physical paranormal manifestations that other people have witnessed. Uh, sometimes we've recorded them, photographed them, videotaped them, audio recorded them, so on and so forth. And uh, then I've got a couple of books out and working on a third with more in the works. So that's where I'm at now. Yeah, you, it sounds to me, I mean, you've got a lot going on. Yeah, uh, you're you're well well read in in abnormalities that well what people call parallel to their normal right the paranormal um, right so the elderly black man to me when I hear the story of that uh, what comes to my mind is so I'm under the belief system that some people like you and other psychics and other people with great abilities whether and whether it be a psychic ability or a physical ability because there's some athletes out there that I think they they channel that same kind of cognitive power right they go so right. deep and so it sounds to me like the elderly black guy in his life maybe he was what you are now and he was kind of like your introduction he recognizes this, this this kid has got a gift right i'm, I'm gonna present right. myself to him and so you know quote unquote pass the torch sounds like maybe he there was you your, your mentor yeah. in a way yeah I kind of have that feeling as well. And, uh, you know, like I said, I couldn't have expressed it that way when I was a kid, but later on in life, it was like, okay, now I understand why this guy came. He came to open up this portal. He came to awaken this gift because it's enabled me to help so many people. And, uh, that's, that's the absolute best thing about having the gift is being able to help people in positive and constructive ways. So let me ask then, are there, I, I I'm going to ask this question because there's a woman that I'd found. Uh, I did some okay. research for psychics and I found one who's, you know, people spoke highly of, but it took me a long time to get in touch with her. She wasn't advertising. She doesn't take clients. She, mm -hmm. in her words, it sounds like a burden. Like she started in a young age. And what it sounds like is she's the person that speaks to spirits to kind of give them the idea. Like, all right, here's the message conveyed and you can move on to the next life. In speaking right. to her, it sounds like she's constantly bothered. It's like a, a, she's bothered by it. It never stops. Yeah. And she can't close it off because she'll just get harassed. Yeah. So the only way she finds peace is, is by finding these people and conveying the message. Are there any negatives to what you've encountered in your life? You know, there isn't. It's, um, it's all I've ever known. Um, and it's, it's always on. It never turns off. So I'm always aware of and connected with the other side. These paranormal experiences are always occurring in my life. And the fact that it's been overwhelmingly positive experiences for me uh, of the paranormal experiences I've had and the fact that I get to help so many people worldwide. And I have all this client feedback constantly that tells me, you know, look, you, some people have told me literally you've saved my life. And uh, other people have told me, you know, you've helped me make the right decisions. You've helped me have a better life. You've helped me to understand uh, the spiritual realm and to grow spiritually. Um, and so all of these great things I get to do, it's, I've never considered it a burden and I, I wouldn't know how to live any other way. It's all I've ever known. It's what I grew up with. Uh, the experiences were constant and, uh, like I say, overwhelmingly positive. And I don't, I, I've never considered it a burden. Uh, it's, it's something I've always been grateful that I have and grateful that I can help other people with. And the, I call my group of guys on the other side, I affectionately call them the guys, <laughs> regardless right. if it's a male or female spirit or entity or whatever it is. I have this retinue of spirits that have been with me, some of them since I was young, and I affectionately refer to them as the guys. And they have literally, uh, not not metaphorically speaking, but literally saved my life on multiple occasions. So it's it's been a, a really treasured experience for me, a really treasured thing. If there was one negative about it, 
Um, it, it's cost me some friendships and, and relationships over the years because there's a lot of people that say, oh, you know, oh, I can handle that. Oh, I believe, you know, this and the other. And then when the real deal starts happening and it happens in really melodramatic fashion, people are like, I'm out of here. I can't, I can't <laughs> handle this. This is too much. So I guess that, that would be a minor negative is that it, it's, it's cost me some, uh, cost me some relationships and cost me some friendships over the years. Yeah. There's a lot of humans that have pushback, it, especially with site. I noticed because I have people I'm related to that are like that. Like it's all, it's, you know, it's against God and et cetera, et cetera. So they, they don't oh, want sure, yeah. yeah, they don't yeah. want to hear that. And at the right. end of the day, uh, why I do this podcast and why some people are, are, you know, it's attractive to them to learn more about this subject. It's really humans questioning their mortality, right? Right. It's the ultimate question. What's after this? And so Absolutely. for Absolutely. you, the question I have for you is what is after this? I mean, it, cause I'm under the presumption right now that, uh, depending on what your energy did here on this, in this world, right? Cause I think there's many, many planet earths with many different species of, of beings. And I think I personally view God as an architect, a higher state of consciousness that our bodies here on earth are just, we're, our energy is downloaded to our body, right? And right. when the body ceases to be, the energy goes back to a source. It is a, either recycled for here goes to the next plane, wherever that may be. Or if you're like a, like a negative energy, perhaps there is a, a place you go until you can reform. So right, right. in your opinion, what, what do you think the afterlife really is? And what, what does it consist of? You know, we don't know, Adam. I wish we did, but we don't know. We don't have anything definitive on which we can hang our hats. We have a lot of religious teaching, and that's all it is, is religious teaching, and that's nothing we can hang our hats on. Right. And every religious viewpoint is different. Everybody has a different scenario for the afterlife, so they can't all be correct. Uh, from what I've been able to ascertain, and what I did many, many years ago was abandon uh, dogma and, and uh, tradition and, and so on and so forth, and try and find out, look, what's real and what isn't, what works and what doesn't. And in doing that, you find some truth along the way that you can hang your hat on, but you don't know everything. You don't understand everything. And that's in the process that we're all in after all of these eons of, of uh, interaction with the spiritual realm is we still just don't know. The best that I have been able to ascertain from my communication with people on the other side and the people that have come to me and the guides that have come to me and the various entities that have come to me is that our, our bodies and our consciousness are intertwined. That begins when we're born. We have that spirit in us. When the physical body dies, that spirit leaves, and it goes to what I just easily call, collectively call, the other side. We're over there. We're right. there. And then at that point, we have options as to uh, we can continue our learning. We continue our growth. Uh, we carry our sense of humor, our memories, our mindsets with us. And therefore, on the other side, we may have this opportunity to look at things and go, oh, man, I shouldn't have been as harsh with my kids, or I should have been more forgiving about this, or I should have been more strict about that, or I should have been a better boss, or I should have, you know, whatever. We have those opportunities to look at things, correct things. And then people choose as to who they're going to be close to, who they're going to hang around here. People come back from the other side to try and help us, to guide us, to let us know they're there. And I get those communications all the time from people on the other side when I'm reading for my clients. 
and they're very intimately involved in the in our lives still because they will tell me uh, things that they have seen their loved ones do. Like tell them I saw you went to my gravestone, you put a rock up on the gravestone. And that's tradition in a lot of uh, societies, not just the Hebrew societies, but a lot of societies. And a lot of people will do that or leave some kind of memorial. And people will tell me, I saw you do this. Um, so they're still very much involved with us. They love us. They care for us. And as far as, you know, obviously not everything's all roses. There are evil people in this world. There are horrible people in this world. And to think that they would just go to the other side and everything would be hunky-dory and be okay. I don't believe that. I believe, kind of like you do, that there has to be some type of reckoning over there, some type of something where uh, these spirits are maybe forcibly collected, let's hope, and kind of held in a in a situation where, you know, they're given the opportunity to go undergo some type of change or maybe make some type of restitution for what they've done here. But we don't know that with a certainty, with an absolute clarity. We get these glimpses of the other side, and we wish we knew more, and it's very, very frustrating. And the communication from the other side is um, sometimes astonishingly clear and sometimes uh, astonishingly sketchy or, or absent. And I can always read for clients. That's not a problem. But the connection with the other side, I liken that to when I was a kid, uh, we, uh, growing up in Texas, uh, met a guy when we were in our teens. This guy had a, a ham radio, shortwave radio. And we were just astonished. That was the most amazing thing because we could go to his house and on a good night with good reception, we could talk to someone in England or Australia and they were as clear as if they were in the room with us. And we'd hold 10, 15, 20 minute conversations. What's the price of gas? What do you eat? What's it like over there? What do you do? And then the next night you'd be lucky if you could reach across town, the conditions were so bad. Yeah. So that's kind of like the way I feel like it is communicating with the other side, getting these communications from people on the other side and entities on the other side is sometimes the conditions are really good. Sometimes they're not that good. And that's why it's essential that we spend some time every day in this meditation, in this communion with the other side, because we don't know when the time's going to be just right and when the essential communication is going to come through. Does that kind of make some sense? It does. And, you know, from from everything I've read, and I'm one of these people, I have no experience in anything. So I'll learn something and then my imagination takes over. And then I allow my imagination to kind of mix in with logic a little bit. And then even with the word logic, like you said, we don't know anything definitively, right? Right. So for me, some of the spirits that you communicate with that are here clearly have not went back to the source because they're still in that. I think what we're considering the afterlife is kind of like that transient uh, space between the two realms, right? Uh, Because if someone is, in my opinion, if if someone passes and they're accepted to the the source, then communication here has ceased to be because they're going to be either recycled or going to the next plane. Um, yeah. And then what you're saying about some of the spirits being able to communicate with you, well, there's different levels of maturity in, in their ability to do so. Some of the yeah, spirits absolutely. have been there. They've learned it. They have an understanding of how to do it. Some of them are a little grainy because they don't know what they're doing just yet to communicate with even you. And then, right. like you said, there's that, that other part, that darker part that doesn't want to be recognized. Because I was discussing this with John DeMurray. Um Demons, essentially, whatever they are, uh, whether it be biblical or or however their negative energy exists, their goal is to not be detected. They want to influence. They want to be in the background. They don't want to, they don't want you to know they're there. So it's tough. And then I factor in like 
this is a four billion year old planet. Who, what lived here before us? What existed here? Exactly. What, what energies exactly. are hanging around that we don't know about? So for well, you, that's it. there are so many beings that are around us, so many energies and, and intelligences that are around us that we don't even comprehend they're there. And when we do tune in on that realm and we encounter those beings, we're at a loss to describe who and what they are, and we may not ever be able to. And it doesn't mean they're malevolent. doesn't mean they're dark or bad. It just means that it's an intelligence that's not a human intelligence, and therefore we don't know what to to ascribe to that intelligence. And again, I, I have to caution people. I always say, look, just because you encounter something that you don't know what it is, it doesn't mean that it's dark or malevolent or evil. It's just that it's unknown. It's an intelligence, but it's not a human intelligence. And we want to see everything through human eyes, through human glasses. If we encounter a being, we want it to be six foot tall and white and either identifiable as a male or a female and speak English. And if you go out in the woods and you encounter a nature spirit and it's four foot tall and it has a little gruesome-looking face, and you can't describe exactly what the heck it is, your first intention is, oh, demonic, evil, malevolent, whatever. No, that's not the case. That's just what it is. That's right. that that race or classification of being or entity or whatever that is. And we have to learn that there's lots of intelligences on this planet and lots of things on this planet. And we always try and ascribe communication and intelligence in our terms, we try and couch it and phrase it in our terms. But look, there's a lot of intelligence on this planet. Scientists have, re- have stated now that trees have intelligence, that they have memory, that they have support systems, that they learn, that they communicate. So there's an intelligence. It's not a human intelligence, but it's an intelligence. Yeah, well, to add to uh, that, uh, not only did, it, yeah. did the trees exhibit this or what they're learning about it, we also learned that uh, fungus connects yeah. everything right so they have their own neuro network the trees and, exactly. and everything everything living on the planet for that matter because fungus below the ground connects literally everything it's it's exactly it's, so it's scary to think that we're damaging living things that may or may exactly. not again that's why we have to have more respect for the planet and we have to have more respect for these intelligences and for these beings and realize that just as we try and have diplomacy with other countries, other states, other people, other races, other religions, whatever, we try and exercise diplomacy in the flesh. We have also need to exercise diplomacy toward the spiritual realm and toward Mother Earth and toward everything that's going on because these things have an awareness and they have an intelligence and they have an ability to interact with us. And these things can be placated or appeased or entreated and we can help them, and they can help us, and we can work together. And that's what the witches and the wizards and everything of old knew, is that, hey, when you went out in the forest and you knocked on a tree to awaken the spirit, and you treated it, and you left it guilt and said, hey, I, I need some help in this area, and I'm offering you some things to help you, that's not superstition. That's not ignorance. That was a real connection with these beings and with these spirits and with these powers and with these intelligences. And we've lost that and become so material and so hidebound in our traditions and our dogma and our rituals and our uh, religions and things that don't mount to a hill of beans and don't do anything, don't mean anything. But we've become so hidebound by them that that's all we know. 
And we just blindly follow that, and we're just going off a cliff, and we don't even realize it. It's funny how life and science imitate art, right? Because yeah. in just what you're saying, if you ever watched the movie Avatar, that's the oh, yeah. they have a symbiotic relationship with everything on the planet, right down to the to the to the, the smallest parts of the grain of grass, or you know. Exactly. So exactly, we're finding this out now. So yeah. essentially, somebody created a movie for entertainment to find out later. There's some science there. There's absolutely science there. Yeah, there absolutely is. And one of the one of the most amazing things that I I ever read, and uh, I, I don't have the link for this. I had I had it in a computer that crashed, and I've had several computers since then. But it, it's a real story. I looked it up. I vetted it. And um, you talk about you know intelligence, uh, even being down to the blade of grass. You know they've long observed that if you hook up a plant. Uh, you know, in a flower or plant of any kind to an electrode and bring a flame toward it that all of a sudden the electrode, the, the meter only attached to the thing is going to go crazy. You know, the plant's like, I'm in danger. Get that flame away from me. So to take that further, I read this story one time. Um, I believe it was a, uh, a owner, a flower shop owner, nursery owner or something that was murdered in the store, robbed and murdered. And, uh, the uh, the cops had a suspicion, but they didn't have a, a definite lead. And uh, so one of the detectives or, or whatever had this, this wild thing and said, yeah, we do have a witness. And they said, what are you talking about? And he said, the plants that were here when the guy was murdered. And they were like, you're crazy. You're absolutely nuts. You're absolutely crazy. But he talked them into making this experiment and they got some fake suspects together with the real suspect that they suspected was the guy that was involved. And they hooked up this plant to these, this meter of some type with some kind of indicator, whether it was a, you know, a needle dial, whatever it was. And one by one, they brought in the fake suspects before the plant. They registered nothing. And when they brought in the guy that they suspected of the murder, the needle went wild or whatever the indicator was went wild. The plant recognized the guy was like, this is the murderer. So yeah. the plant had enough intelligence to recognize what had happened, to remember the face, the energy and the, and the, of the person that did this, and then to respond when they were brought in again. Now, that's pretty freaky if you think about it. That. Is, that's a true story, and it's vetted. And if you think about that, it's like, oh, my God, you know, the plants that are around us right now, they're, they're aware, they're cognizant, they're they're aware of what's going on. It's not a human intelligence, but it's an intelligence that is can recognize and transmit on some level other than speech a recognition of things and a response to things. Well, we, we know so, that plants are sentient because yeah. the majority of them, like, like even and more, more or less like fungi, um, fungus will grow typically where the sun is, and some of them where the sun is, that's the side of the tree they're on. Uh, some plants, when there's fire or some sort of, um, for something threatening to them, they, there's something changes in them. They they move themselves. Uh, they lean a right. certain way. Uh, pla- right. Plants are more intelligent. Uh, I don't want to say intelligent like us, but their their instincts are pretty on point as far as. Oh, absolutely. And again, it's not a human intelligence, but it is an intelligence. You look at my little dog. My little dog recognizes words to the points that we have to spell them if we don't want him to get overexcited. Now he's learned to spell certain things. So when we spell those words, he knows what it is. That's not human intelligence, but that's an intelligence. And that's an intelligence that has come to recognize and understand human English language and even the spelling of it. 
Yeah, they, so we they recognize tones and they recognize different syllables. They, they, oh, sure. Yeah, they're very sure. smart creatures, animals, and we don't give them enough so credit. We have to come to to expand our idea of what intelligence is and realize that, hey, there's a lot of intelligence out there, not just us. There's a lot of intelligence out there. And again, by going back to the old ways of recognizing that and treating it, interacting with it, and so on and so forth, we make lives a lot better for ourselves and for the planet in general. So now the other question, the darker energy, because there's a a story I've learned from a a, a priest um, where they were working a case and nothing worked against this entity. Obviously, in my mind, I'm thinking this, this entity predates humanity and religion. So when you're spitting religious jargon at it, it's disregarding it completely. Sure. So the sure. darker energies, when you come into contact, one, how do you recognize what it is? And two, what do you do to put it away or just not deal with it? Because I've heard terrible stories of people who investigate these things and then they attach to these people and their lives are turned upside down. Yeah. You know, I, I have not encountered in all the years that I've done all these paranormal investigations and all these experiences I've had. I have not encountered the stereotypical dark energy. And I think that, and I'm not saying this is the case for every case, but I'm saying I think the majority of cases where people think they've connected with a dark entity are either misinterpretation on their part, a knee-jerk reaction to the event that goes back to their religious upbringing, or, or just a complete misunderstanding, misinterpretation of what's going on. I'll give you an example. I, uh, when I was shooting the, uh, the TV pilot for the History Channel, I had this woman come up to me and go, I have to talk to you between filming. This ghost tried to kill me. And I was like, oh, my God, no ghost tried to kill you. Yes, this ghost tried to kill me. So I was like, okay, okay, we'll talk. So got through got a break in the filming. We went off in a, in a room in the, uh, the building to talk privately. And she said, I was standing by my, my sink. And the cupboard in the kitchen opened up by itself. A a plate flew out at high speed across the room, landed right by my head, next next to my head on the wall, and shattered into a jillion pieces and fell to the floor. The ghost tried to kill me. I said, no, no, no. The ghost didn't try and kill you. The ghost wasn't even trying to hurt you. And psychically, I understood the other guy, the guys on the other side told me what was going on. And I said, listen, here's what happened. I said, the other side has been trying to communicate with you for a long time because there are several people there that know you're receptive and they have things they need you to know and understand so they can guide you and help you on a daily basis. And you've been either afraid of it or been ignoring them or both. And it gets to the point that it's like a little kid that's dragged along, a little boy that's dragged along dress shopping with his mom. Oh my God, what's the worst thing a five, six, seven year old boy can experience being dress shopping with his mom and he's bored and he's looking around and he wants to get his mom's attention about something. So he goes, mom, mom's at the dress rack. Mom, mom's looking at the sale prices. Mom, mom's, oh, wow. Look at this dress mom. And he can't get mom's attention. So he looks around, he knocks over a chair. Bam. What are you doing? what did you do? He's got your attention. Same thing with the other side. We ignore them. Here's a door closes by itself. That's my imagination. Here's an aroma. Oh, that's just, I, that must be, I have a cold or I have a daydream or something. That's not real. Something else happens. Something else happens. Something else happens. A loved one, 
more than one loved one, our guardian angel, somebody on the other side, desperately trying to get through, trying to get our attention, trying to make us believe, trying to get us to understand they're there. We ignore it. We push it away. We ignore it. We push it away. Finally, they do something. Hey, ignore this. You can't ignore this now. And I told her, I said, that's what happened. They weren't trying to kill you. They weren't even trying to harm you. They're just forcibly getting your attention and making you realize, hey, there is this real spiritual realm out there and you need to interact with this. You need to understand this. You need to understand we're trying to communicate with you and help you. She got it. She understood it. She went on. Everything was okay. A lot of times people get so-called attachments. I had this other client that uh, called me one time for a reading for help. And it was really funny because uh, she had watched Sylvia Brown when Sylvia was still alive and was on the Montel show. And Sylvia made the statement that, Hey, if you want a ghost, just ask for one. One will come to you. And this lady thought, Oh, that sounds like fun. So she said, I did that. And she said, John, a ghost came to me and then it scared me to death and I didn't want it. And I wanted to get rid of it. And she said, I moved and it followed me. And she said, it appeared to be mad at me because it would go up and down the street, setting off all the car alarms in the sequence. And the neighbors said, this has never happened before. This woman has just moved in. Somehow she must be responsible. And they called the police on me. And she said, the police came to my doorstep and I was standing there with the police. They're questioning me. And while the police are standing there, all the car alarms start going off sequentially up and up one side of the street and down the other. And they looked at each other and they looked at me and said, have a good day, ma'am, and left. She said, what do I do? I said, okay, let's look at this. You have asked a sentient being with feelings to come into your life. And it did. It's just like you walked down the street and you saw a stray dog and you said, here, come here, come here, come here, boy. I'll take you home. Come on, come on. I'll feed you. I'll give you food. I'll give you a place to sleep. I'll give you warmth. I'll give you love. And it comes home with you and then you don't want it. I said the exact same thing. So you've got the ghost. The ghost came with you. Now you don't want the ghost. Then you moved, tried to abandon the ghost. And so, yeah, it's miffed. It's setting off the car alarms. It's like, abandon me. Would you watch this? So I said, here's what you do. I said, talk to the ghost. Say, look, I'm sorry. I did this kind of frivolously. You answered. You showed up. You're here. You're real. Uh, I mean, it's been demonstrated. Other people have seen what you've done. The police officers saw what you did. Um, So, look, it kind of spooked me a little bit. And you're welcome here, but just ease into this thing with me. Don't scare me too much. And I said, tell this ghost, tell this spirit, say, look, you're welcome here. Um, and help me. It's like, uh, it's like a break. Like, look, it's not you. It's me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And And it's like, look, while you're here, help me. It's like when I have to leave and I go out to go grocery shopping or whatever, if you can stay here and guard the house, make sure nobody breaks in, make sure everything's okay, keep us safe. And I said, do that. And I said, so work with the spirit that you've asked to come. And then, you know, let me know how that works out. And if things go haywire for whatever reason, there's workarounds I can give you, we'll fix it. But everything worked out fine. So a lot of people just have this misunderstanding of what they're getting into and what people fail to realize people are so funny. They think these things are isolated or you got to go to a certain place to encounter something. We have spirits around us all the time, 
24 hours a day, no matter where we are on this planet, where you and I are sitting right now, all of the listeners that are going to listen to us, you have multiple spirits around you all the time. And so, again, a lot of these things we have a negative reaction to because we've been programmed to through our religious upbringing or whatever, or we have a misinterpretation of fear, so on and so forth. And like I say, I've, I've never encountered that, that dark thing that, that I really had to worry about or was frightened of or anything like that. Uh, and you mentioned that, you know, throwing religious things at, at the thing didn't work, this type of thing. I, and every single case I am aware of, and I'm aware of a lot because I've been around the block a few times. I'm going to be 69 now in a few months. So I've, I've been at this game a long, long time, as the old saying goes. And in every incident, that I know of anyone that has called in a priest, an exorcist, a demonologist, a psychic, whatever to exercise a spirit, to close a portal, to do this, to do that, to do that. Number one does not work period in the discussion. Number two usually makes it worse. Right. Right. <laughs> so we have to understand that we are dealing with, intelligent beings that are here on this planet and in nature and in our homes and all around us. And we shouldn't view things as a negative. This is the normal state of affairs. And we should understand that when something chooses to interact with us, that can be a great blessing and that can be a a great honor and that can be a great privilege. And it can even be very helpful to us. If someone comes up to me and wants to befriend me, and I turn around and slap them and yell for the priest to come throw holy water at them and, and yell biblical phrases at them. Oh, you know, what in the world? Right. Uh, they're going to like, uh, if they're, if they're a really nice person, they're just going to go, well, these crazy SOBs, I'm out of here and leave us alone. <laughs> if they're, if they got a good temper, they're going to come after you. So think about that on the other side. If some spirit comes up to you, say, Oh, Hey, I'm going to hang out with this person. I'm going to help this person. Be cordial with that spirit. Be respectful with that spirit. And it's like I remember, you know, nothing frightens me. I've never been scared, except that one time when I was a kid, and that's because I was a kid. But I've never been scared or frightened of any paranormal experience since. Um, I, I just, um, it's something that we have to understand as part and parcel of our lives, that it's perfectly normal. And, you know, people, one of the funniest things that people don't understand that we live in the spiritual realm with these spirits constantly wherever we're at. Because I have people that will say, I just bought land, cleared it, and built a brand new house. How can it be haunted? Well, just like you said earlier, the earth's been around for millions of years, if not millions of years. There's been a jillion people on this planet that have lived and died, and nature has reclaimed where they were. Every place on this planet has had people, entities, nature spirits, on and on and on. Forever today, every place on this planet's been inhabited, even the places that we think that haven't, because places that were, they were abandoned, they were lost, whatever, nature overtakes them, grows back, and obliterates them, but there was someone there. Yeah, I mean, and if you read, there, uh, we, there's parts we, of the world that are underwater that once upon a time were above water and had civilizations exactly, on it. We know that. Exactly. Like yes, Antarctica yes. was not where it is now millions yeah. of years ago. Like that we have plate yeah. shifts. So yeah, absolutely. Something has lived if, everywhere on this planet at one point or another. If you'll read Jerry Snyder's book, the practice of the wild, 
he talks about places that we assume are desolate and no one ever lived there and this and the other. But if you research it, people were like, oh, yeah, this was called the so-and-so trail or there used to be this village there or these people there or whatever. So it's like I'll give you a modern day example. We live in Florida and uh, over at the Matanzas Inlet, you've got the, the inlet on one side. And on the other side is the ocean, and it's beautiful. People are out there picnicking. There's a little restaurant nearby. People are fishing off the bridge. Out in the ocean, people are kite surfing and all this kind of stuff. Beautiful, right? Gorgeous, right? Matanzas means slaughter. And on that very site where all this beauty is, all of these troops, look it up online, all of these troops were killed, slaughtered, massacred, on that site where we've got restaurants and kite surfers and all this and all that, there was a huge slaughter that happened right there. That's what Matanzas means is slaughter. <laughs> and so that's a modern day example of like, you know, there are places on this planet that we think are pristine or nice or this, and we're not even aware of the history of what happened there. And beyond that slaughter, you could go back thousands of years, probably lots of other things happened on that very spot. So we have to get this understanding of uh, the relationship of all these things to us. Right. I live in Florida too. I live in the Tampa Bay oh, area. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And there's a, when you do the, the history background of Florida, a lot of crazy shit happened here. A lot on both oh, coasts. Yeah. Um, this, <laughs> yeah. this is yeah. A, in a long time ago, pirates, they would call them would come here and they, they'd work trade. So the, you know, the people saying that Columbus discovered this place first, not true at all. It was not inhabited before. Yeah. People have come and gone, so there's a lot of history in this state. Oh, and oh, all just, along the they coast. Just found, um, they just found evidence of, of Viking exploration here way before the time of Columbus. Right. You have to believe that because that's the Vikings were seabaring, and that was their job oh, yeah. was to go out and find that's, and, and that's what they, and did. they explored and pillaged and plundered and conquered and fought. And <laughs> yeah. that's, that was their job. That's what they did. So on this show you worked on, the History Channel, you did the pilot for the uh, Abraham Lincoln. Tell me about that. What were they having you look for? Oh, my God, that was phenomenal. I uh, Unfortunately, the pilot never aired, uh, but filming this thing, my God, we had, uh, first I have to say that some of these goofy psychics and phony psychics and wannabe psychics or whatever had gone to some of these historic places and it acted up so badly and acted so stupidly that some of them had said, that's it. We're closed to any type of investigation forever. Don't anybody ever approach us again, period, in discussion. But they had vetted me very, very carefully. And Atlas Media, which is one of the largest media corporations in New York, and then the History Channel, we had the cachet of both of those and the fact that I'd been vetted. So some of these places that had shut down to everybody generously agreed to open up to us because my producer said, look, this guy's not going to come in and do anything idiotic or stupid or foolish or put you in a bad light or anything like that. So we got to go into all of these historic places. And the amazing thing was that when the History Channel and Atlas set this up, we were allowed in just me, the film crew, and that was it. There was no other visitors there. The docents that were there let us in and then disappeared. We went and, and I went through whatever psychic impressions I got, conveyed that while we were filming. And, and that was the most marvelous experience ever to be able to stand in these historic places, just me and the film crew. And that was it. And just allow this history to wash over me and allow these spirits to come back 
and tell their stories and allow these replays in the atmosphere to replay again and for me to uh, to be able to access those and to tell what went on. So we went to Ford's Theater. Uh, we went to uh, what was the Peterson House? I can't remember off the top of my head, but the house across the street from Ford's Theater where they took Lincoln after he was shot, where he died the next day. Uh, we went to the Mud House and, and on and on and on. We went to all these historic places, and it was just just amazing, just fascinating. But the great thing for me was that uh, uh, one of the fun things, uh, they, they uh, interviewed and vetted a ton of psychics before they chose me for this, which was an honor. But the other funny thing was, was that in talking with my producer, uh, I told him, I said, look, I'll be honest with you. I'm the world's worst history student. I hate history. I don't like history. I don't read history. I don't study history. I don't enjoy history. And in school, I was a kid that was writing the crib notes and ink on his hand to try and pass the history test. I just didn't get it, didn't like it. So I said, if I get anything, it's going to be authentic because it's going to come from the psychic realm. It's going to be real because I don't know nothing about this. I know Booth shot Lincoln at Ford's Theater, and that's the extent of anything I know, period, in the discussion. So... We went to all these places, and uh, I would get all of these psychic impressions and these communications with spirits that we were able later to confirm, uh, to validate. And I think one of the most awesome things I got was uh, there's a a, a museum down below Ford's Theater. We went in there, and uh, it had uh, some are authentic, some are replicas, but they had like the door into the presidential box. And they said that Booth had drilled a hole in the door so he could look in and see where Lincoln was, see where he was seated. So he didn't know when to burst in and shoot him. And I looked at that and my psychic senses told me, said, nope, nope, nope. Booth did not drill this hole. Booth had this hole drilled by someone in the theater that wouldn't arouse suspicion by being there like a workman or something. So sure enough, after we shot the pilot, we had access to tons of Lincoln experts, tons of research. And, you know, Atlas had all its research people available and so on and so forth. And sure enough, they found out that a workman in the theater had drilled the hole and not Booth. And uh, so it was it was little things like that that uh, I was able to discern psychically and come up with. And we were able to validate that made it a really uh, exciting thing. And then we got... uh, uh, we got uh, paranormal manifestations on film. Uh, and I write about this in my, my second book, and we can discuss my books, but I write about this in my second book. And um, the uh, we I don't know, I think we were the first to use a FLIR camera, forward-looking infrared radiation. I'm not sure, but I think we may have been the first. And like I said, we didn't go to air, so we, we couldn't claim that, but I think we were the first to use that. So we used regular camera and then a FLIR camera, uh, both. And the FLIR camera was set so that heat would show up as white and cold would show up as black. Hmm. And uh, we went to this place in the mud house, and I said, uh, I said, there's a, a female spirit over here. I said, I'm sure it's Mrs. Mud. And I said, she's walking toward me. And I said, I'm, I'm getting cold. I feel this energy. I said, she's walking through me now. I feel her passing through me. And now she's going out the other side. And as I said that on the FLIR camera in black, which indicates cold, there were uh, female shoe-shaped and period shoe-shaped footsteps, black footsteps, walking across the floor toward me as I said that. Hmm. And then 
going out the other side. So we caught things like that on on film, and it was just absolutely amazing. It was absolutely wonderful. What was it? Like? What were the film? Uh, what, what was the film crew like with that experience? <laughs> <laughs> I set out. My producer was kind of like, nah, "I'm skeptical, but we'll see." So he had an open mind. Uh, some of the other film crew was like, yeah, whatever. It's a job I'm getting paid. I don't care. And my viewpoint was I'm going to make everybody here a believer. So uh, not only did we get these things happening and catch these things on film and we had these paranormal occurrences occurring uh, and the film crew had to acknowledge, oh, holy cow, this is real. This is happening. It's, it's really happening. It's really going on. I would do things like while we were en route to filming destinations the other side would give me things for individual crew members that I wouldn't have known about them. And, and I would tell them things and they'd be like, Holy cow. Okay. And my purpose in doing that was not to show off. It was to say, Hey guys, this stuff is real. Right. You know, this, this is reality. This is how we should all live and interact and understand that this is available to us all. And we can learn so many things that can help us and so on and so forth. So it was really great. And I remember one of the funny things that, uh, that I did uh, with my producer, uh, we were en route. For, we had filmed at one destination. We were en route to the other, and he got a phone call. He was talking with somebody, and I tapped him on the leg, and I said, hey, hey, I need to interrupt you. And he knew I wouldn't interrupt his, his phone call, his personal phone call, unless it was important. So I said, you're talking to a guy. And he said, yeah. And I said, this is a friend of yours. And he says, yeah. And I said, I tell him that he's uh, just just become or about to become the executor of a will and to make sure that all the the T's and are crossed and the I's are dotted, really, really go through this thing with a fine-tooth comb. Tell him that. So he looks at me and he's like, okay. So he talks to the guy and he says, hey, listen, he said, uh, this, this guy here with me is, uh, is a psychic. <laughs> and he said, never mind that, but this is what he tells me for you. And he said, are, are you? And the, and the guy was like, holy cow. He said, well, his aunt just died or whoever it was. I, I'm just giving you an example, but someone had just died. He was named the executor of the will. He said, I'm going through it right now. You know, how could this guy know that? He <laughs> said, well, this is a psychic. We're shooting a TV show. I'll tell you about it later. But he says, tell you to really go through the wheel with the fine tooth comb, make sure all the T's across the eyes are dotted. So I would do things like that. And, and the purpose was to show these guys, Hey, this is not entertainment. This is reality, you know, right. and, and we need to approach it in a respectful way. And uh, so that was, it was, it was a marvelous experience all the way around. Yeah. That's unfortunately a lot of shows are irresponsible. They, they make totally more, irresponsible. Yeah, they want totally more entertainment. They, they put in excitement where it doesn't belong. They, they, exactly. On some of these exactly. channels, they always refer, reference their experts. I, I noticed that. Like, yeah. Our experts yeah. say yes, because they want the people, let's be honest, the people watching these shows already are committed because they have some form of belief. And oh, sure. so they phrase yeah. things in a way that, that confirms what they're watching is the legitimate real deal. However, exactly. people exactly. like you that are legitimate, I think, why the pilot didn't move forward is well, probably because it was that real. And then it, so yeah. by you setting the bar that high will, will jeopardize the rest of their programming. Well, yeah, because I have talked to on air talent on some of the biggest paranormal shows on TV today. And I have talked to some of the behind the scenes production people on some of the biggest shows. And they have told me that on some of these shows, most of these shows, I think that people are, 
asked to react in certain ways or to be melodramatic or to scream and run out of the room or to da 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 da. So a lot of these things are set up. They're manipulated. They're yeah. fake. They're they're all those things. And unfortunately, people watching these things, they think, oh, that's that's the way it really is. And that's not the way it is to interact with the other side at all. And the other side is not this frightening, spooky thing to be afraid of. One of the greatest reviews I ever got on one of my books was a person that said, John, thank you for writing this. You've shown us that the other side is not something to fear, that we can interact with this without fear and with benefit to ourselves. And so that's why we have to understand. But, yeah, most of these shows are just totally fake, totally phony. And, uh, you know, it's it's like this is something I have dedicated my entire life to. And, you know, a lot of these people that are so-called experts are, are hobbyists or, you know, they have an agenda. They have a certain belief system and everything falls within that belief system. And it's it's just very frustrating to see people be so misled by what's on TV as a representation of what interaction with the paranormal actually is. And most of it is fear-based. You know, the, the title fear is in some of these programs. Yep. And the, the thing that's emphasized is demons and darkness and malevolence. And, and, and it's like, oh, my God. And one of the things that's really struck me lately is how many people will look at horror movies and think those are actual representations of interaction with the paranormal realm. And that's so far from the truth. Yeah. It's sad. And it, it, it just shows, uh, it shows humanity. What we, we want mystery. We want unexplained. We want it. We want that dark side. We want that because yeah. it, it allows us to take that, that kind of mental break from our lives. Say, well, there's something, it could be worse and it's out there. And it's a strange behavior that we have. It is. Yeah. We want to be scared. We want to be, uh, you know, tantalized. We want to be titillated. And the problem is, we don't separate the, the reality from the fantasy. And I love horror, and I like to watch horror, but I know it's just a story, and I know it has nothing to do with the supernatural and the paranormal. Right. It has nothing to do with what I've experienced. It's great entertainment, and I hope that in the end, the guy or the girl kills the evil monster or whatever it is, and da 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 and it's good entertainment, but that's all it is, and it's not... A true rep- I can't tell you how many people think the exorcist is the real thing and a true representation of the paranormal realm. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah, that's nuts, right? Because I know people that think that's a, a straight up, every detail's real. They, yeah, that, it's based absolutely. on a real event, but it didn't play yeah. out quite that way at all. Yeah, yeah. It, and and I have to go, I have to, I have to go here. I have, yeah, one yeah. of the things that's a pet peeve of mine, the Ouija board and people are like, Oh my God, you're going to open the portal to hell. You're going to get an attachment. You're going to get a demon. You're going to get it. I've had, I've collected and used Ouija boards since I was 15, never had anything negative, never had a problem, never had anything. And what amazes me is I saw something the other day. I wish I had thought of this. I'd come up with this, but I, I didn't, but I've adopted it. And I tell people this, I read this thing that was like, you know, why the Ouija board? You use a crystal ball, a pendulum, dowsing rods, tarot cards, runes, everything else on the planet, and that's okay. But the Ouija board is going to get you in trouble. It's all the same energy. Yeah, I if firmly you're believe. With the other side, it's all the same. Right. Thing. I, I firmly believe it's not the object, it's the, the strength you give it. That's right. A, if you put intention. forth a lot of energy into something, I think you'll get a result. You can put that same yeah. energy into a, a coffee cup and get results. Exactly that way. right. Exactly be- right. Before we close out, though, um, let's talk about your books and where they can be found. 
Ah, oh, great. Thank you. Yeah, my first book is titled Writing with the Ghost Angels and the Spirits of the Dead. My second book is A Knock in the Attic. Uh, you can buy these books at all booksellers online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Aid Books, Target and Walmart carry them online. A lot of the independent stores uh, carry them online. And I, I really hope that people will get them and read them for an insight to what it's really like to be psychic, what it's really like to interact with the other side, the positive, beneficial things that can happen. And especially writing with ghost angels and spirits of the dead, I can guarantee you've never read anything like it. And everybody that's read those books that have said, I've read paranormal books my entire life, and I have never read anything like this, never seen anything like this. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be entertaining, but you're going to learn a lot out of it, and not in a preachy way. You're going to enjoy reading it. Good. I'll put those in description so people could find them. So it'll make it easier, obviously, to get to the link. And uh, for we're going to say good night, good evening, good day to whoever's listening or whatever it is for you. And I'm going to talk to John in post. 